anyone there? Okay, that's weird. Hey. Oh, hey. How's it going? Good. You? Great. Great. Perfect day, don't you think? Um, yeah. I guess so. What's up with you? You seem a bit off. What? Me? No. Just making some Kool-Aid. Do you want some? Oh, I see now. Here I thought you'd actually done something. What? <laughs> You're making Kool-Aid like Jim Jones. You know, People's Temple, that crazy cult church set up in Guyana. Well, you know, poison by Kool-Aid doesn't seem like the worst way to go. Let me tell you a story. This is a breaking news alert. We learned who the suspect is. This just in. A homicide. Police now say they have a suspect in the case. Reporting lies in the murder. Got some breaking news. <laughs> My flatmate's a murderer. <laughs> Welcome to My Flatmate's a Murderer. A horror comedy podcast where we get up close and personal with some of the most strange, gruesome and infamous murder cases throughout history. My name's Alana Mir. This week, Jim Jones, the colourful evangelist turned mass suicide enthusiast. Let's get into it. Jim Jones, the American cult leader who took members of his church, the People's Temple, across to Guyana to create Jonestown, a utopia that they thought they would find in the jungles of South America. Jones proclaiming himself the messiah of this evangelist group drew a following from his mesmerizing charismatic personality and his attacks on the negatives of American society, such as segregation and capitalism. His vision would become a dystopia on the 18th of November 1978 when the Jonestown Massacre claimed more than 900 lives and the Jonestown leader himself was left lifeless and powerless. Jim Jones, or James Warren Jones, was born in 1931 in Crete, Indiana. His mother, believing she was giving birth to a messiah, probably didn't help keep his ego in check. He was always studious as a child through to graduating high school with honours, a good student that had an interest in learning and religion from a young age. It's always the murderers that seem normal that creep you out the most, am I right? He studied Stalin, Marx, Zedong, Gandhi and Hitler, people calling him really a weird kid, obsessed with religion and death. There comes a little bit of the nuts. He was a regular churchgoer as a child, looking down on the behaviour of other boys his age, taking matters into his own hands when he shot, yeah, a gun, at some of his friends who were going home rather than to join him in witnessing, which is the sharing of their faith to members of the community. America. At age 16, Jones began preaching his faith and being active in many industries, but it was his particular passion for the poor and underrepresented that shaped his seemingly radical interracial worship. Just after graduating high school, he married Marceline Baldwin and began tertiary studies, becoming a student pastor at Somerset Methodist Church. Thus, it began. Jones' views on how to run a church caused him to resign from his position and start his own congregation called Community Unity. 
Becoming lost in what his faith in church meant, he modified the doctrine, moved his congregation, becoming the Wings of Deliverance, later known as the People's Temple. Jones modelled his church on an established one called the Peace Mission. This was not to strengthen his message though, but he thought that his church would grow in numbers being related to another successful one. Jones didn't even believe in God anymore, but his church still grew. The People's Temple projected a tolerant philosophy and outreach to the community, running a soup kitchen, caring for the elderly and maintaining a social service centre. Reverend Jim Jones seemed like a revolutionary speaking revolutionary ideas of acceptance, appealing to the disillusioned Americans. He was awarded a head position at the Indianapolis Human Rights Commission. You can see why people thought he was a dream come true. Jones talked of a utopian society where everyone was treated equally. This was at the time of the civil rights movement, so this resonated strongly. His intensity as a leader, his strength and his power in public speaking allowed his increase in control over his followers. He got them to sell their belongings and give their assets to the temple. He preached an idealistic methodology, even though Jones was living a life far from it. Jim Jones' home life was falling apart. Marceline couldn't accept Jones' claim that God was fictitious. He was a jealous type and he threatened suicide if she continued to pray to God. Jones' son Stephen would have little respect for his father due to Jones being a drug addict and an adulterer. His son didn't appreciate the hypocrisy and I imagine his church would have loved to have known this. The Joneses were not the perfect family that they seemed. Jones began to look for a means to escape what he believed was the impending nuclear apocalypse, a fear popularised in the Cold War. He first moved his congregation to Northern California in 1964, growing his congregation significantly. The temple had spread to San Francisco and Los Angeles, now at approximately 2,500 strong. Jones moved the temple headquarters to San Francisco and became involved in the political movements there. He began to refer to himself as the prophet. Thanks, Jim's mum. He became obsessed with power, his followers watching his healings and miracles, trusting more in him than I think I do in life itself, to be honest. But as his church grew, his paranoia did too. He called the police claiming harassment and threats against his life. But before long, allegations were made that Jones was physically, emotionally and sexually abusing members of his church. So Jones decided to run. His solution was to move his church again, this time to Guyana, to a settlement he named after himself, Jonestown. This agricultural commune was set up as a socialist paradise and a sanctuary from the media scrutiny, particularly in San Fran. If you ask me, Jones just wanted to get up to some shady stuff with no one telling him not to. Of his hundreds of followers that moved to Jonestown, Jones confiscated passports, millions of dollars and threatened them with blackmail, beatings and death. You can't get any more serious than threats of death. He would get his congregation to work till they were exhausted, denying them sleep. Jones' drug addiction was becoming harder to hide. He changed from a passionate orator to a man full of blind rage and fury. 
His speeches talked of death and suicide on the loudspeakers at all hours of every day, even getting his congregation to practice ritualistic suicide. His illusion of stability was crumbling, and his church would pay the price. Back home, Temple defectors created a concerned relatives group. They contacted Californian Congressman Leo Ryan, and some of the group ended up accompanying him to Jonestown with his media team in November 1978. Ryan and his group were hosted by Jones in the pavilion, but his trip was cut short when a member of the church attempted to murder Ryan. A lot of relatives that made the trip unfortunately could not persuade their loved ones to return home with them. Ryan did manage to leave with 15 members in tow, however they would not get away that easily. Jones' armed guards arrived on a tractor and trailer and began shooting at the departing delegation, killing four including Congressman Ryan. Fearing what those had escaped might do, Jones activated his horrible plan. On November 18, 1978, Jim Jones commanded his church to drink cyanide-infused punch that horrifyingly most took passively and obeying him without question. When members of the church protested or cried, Jones said, Stop these hysterics. This is not the way for people who are socialists and communists to die. We must die with some dignity. Claiming that his church was protesting the conditions of an inhumane world and not committing suicide. Children were given the drink first and then laid down with their families before their parents followed. 909 people died that day. 304 of them were children. And so he was found with a gunshot wound blasted through his head full of potentially mind-altering drugs. His church then declared bankruptcy and dissolved four years later, and his legacy being one of insanity and deception. Okay, that's heavy. Um, yeah, I guess so. He sounds a bit nuts. Well, it's not the best way to be remembered, or to go for that matter. Mm, I suppose not then, eh? Damn, I really thought I had it this time. Hey, don't worry, you'll get it one day, I'm sure. You think? I don't think. I know. Great, because I had this idea, and actually I thought if you helped... Thanks for listening to My Flatmates Are Murderer, Episode 4, Jim Jones. Follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr, following the handle at MFAMPodcast. You can also find this podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Spreaker. Thanks for listening to the first season of My Flatmates Are Murderer. Bye, guys. (laughs) 